Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships, and faith, and relationships, and self-confidence. About our calling in life, and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better, and easier, and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. So friends, if you haven't heard this conversation with Emily P. Freeman, you are in for a treat. In this episode, we're talking about how to figure out what our next steps are in life. If you don't already know Emily, you are going to love her. If you already know Emily, you already love her because she is wise and wonderful and she has this way of calming us down and helping us clear space in our hearts and in our minds so we can figure out where we're going, what God's saying to us, and what we need to do next. This conversation helped me take the deepest breath and feel so much more calm and confident about my future, and I have a feeling you're going to feel the exact same way. In this conversation, Emily and I talk about how to make big decisions in our lives, like how to know what God has for us, where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do next. We're going to talk about how to not feel quite so overwhelmed by these big decisions, how to feel joy and peace and rest in our lives. We're going to talk about how to trust God when we're in the midst of uncertain seasons and so much more. Guys, if you're in a season of transition or on the verge of making a big decision in your life or just wrestling with where you're headed in life in general, you are going to love this conversation. But before we dive in, as we're talking about figuring out next steps in life, I do want to make sure that you guys have heard about my newest prayer journal. It's called The Between Places, 100 Days to Trusting God When You Don't Know What's Next, and it's perfect for any woman who's navigating really any uncertainty about her future. It's for the woman who's single and wondering if she's ever going to find her person. And for the woman who's dating someone and wondering if this person's the one. It's for the woman who's worked in the same career for several years now, which has left her absolutely sure that this is not what she wants to do for the rest of her life, but which also brings up the question, what does she want to do? It's for the woman who's wondering if she's ready to have a baby, and also for the woman who's trying to grow her family and finding that it can be a lot harder than we sometimes imagine. It's also for the woman who's just feeling the weight of uncertainty in this season of life we're all in right now. Feeling like the whole world has turned upside down, taking along her plans and any sense of security right along with it. This is a prayer journal to help you trust God with your future, and I would love to share it with you. You can pick up a copy in my shop. It's smaywilsonshop.com or from my main website, which is stephaniemaywilson.com. All right, friends, without any further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Emily. All right, friends, I am so excited for what we have in store for you today. I'm sitting here with my new friend, Emily P. Freeman, um, which Emily, I'm just going out on a limb here and just saying we're friends. So I hope that's okay with you. I think that's great. I'm calling it it now. Um, (laughs) So Emily, I would love for you to just take a second and introduce yourself to the women. Tell us who you are, what you do, and I'm going to put you on the spot. I would love to hear a fun fact about you. Oh, a fun fact. Okay. Well, I'll start with who I am. Well, I'm Emily, as you said, and I've been married to my husband, John, for we just celebrated 17 years. We have three kids, twin girls who just started high school, and then we have a son who just started middle school. So we've got absolutely zero things going on at our house right now. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing yeah. new, no new seasons. It's mm-hmm. all just so regular. Like vacations <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. We're just sitting around doing nothing. Um, no, but so, so I've been, you know, my favorite place to stand is on the corner of, um, faith and creativity. And I often find some of my, um, most celebrated and fun and uh, conversations and also friendships there. And so, and I do that not just in my own personal life and the things I love to read and the conversations I love to have, but I also do it through a weekly podcast I host called The Next Right Thing. And then I've also written four books. um, And one of those books was actually all about sort of uncovering and discovering the art that's alive within you. And that book's called A Million Little Ways. So that one came out in 2013. So that's, that's kind of what I do. I write and, um, and I, I sometimes talk <laughs> on, a, <laughs> on a podcast, but, but mostly I really find that, um, I really love helping create space for your soul to breathe so that you can discern your next right thing in love. And that's really what I, what I hope to do, um, in conversation and then in all of the offerings that I, that I create. I love that. And Emily, you do that so well. I told you before we, we started recording that I've followed you for a long time now and, and, uh, that phrase is so perfect and it's so perfectly true of what I always walk away from anything, 
anything I, I receive from you with. I always walk away feeling like my soul had some space to breathe. And you do that in a way that I've, I mean, I've never encountered anybody else that a lot, like gives my heart a, a deep breath in the way that you do. And so I just, I love the way that the Lord has gifted you in that. And I love the way that you're stewarding that gift. And um, I'm so excited for, like, I feel like my heart for today and, and for the women who are getting to meet you today is just, oh, like, let's take a deep breath. And, you know, we're all trying to figure out what's going on in our lives and where we're going. And um, I think we're all just running at a million miles an hour. And I know you totally know that life. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited to just pick your brain on, on how to do that in our own lives. Oh, good. Me too. I also feel like we should pray for you with two new high schoolers and a middle schooler. Oh my gosh. That is, <laughs> yeah, nothing new in your house. Like not even a thing. <laughs> yeah, not even a thing. Um, okay. What is your fun fact? I almost forgot. Yeah. Oh, you almost forgot. You know, a lot of people already know this about me, but I will say that I majored in sign language in, in college. And that was my, my degree. Yeah. And so my first job after college was as a sign language interpreter and in a local high school in the public school system. And it's great and all, except for the fact that this is maybe the fun part, except it was only fun for everybody else, but not so much for me. <laughs> I, when you're an interpreter, you know, it's my job to like render the message of every situation that I'm in. So I not only was as the voice for the deaf student, cause she didn't use her own voice. Some deaf people do, but she didn't. So when she would sign an answer in a class or even like in group work with friends or on the basketball team, I was her voice. But then also I was, you know, through sign language, I would interpret what the teacher said and the coach and all the stuff. And that was all normal and great. But I also had to interpret the pep rallies and it, listen, if you <laughs> have to stand in front of a thousand students and interpret rap music, because the student, the deaf students, like you have to make this accessible to me, like, like totally teasing me, making it so that I would have to like, quote unquote, do my job. You know, she would be like, go ahead, interpret. And like, would laugh the whole time because I was like trying to interpret these lyrics with like the rhythm and the beat and being all cool. It was the worst, Oh, but it okay. was my job. Like, did you, <laughs> I'm just going out on a limb here. I studied Spanish and French in college and there were like words that we weren't taught. Like we would have to go right. find those on our own. And I would imagine that a lot of the words that were in those rap songs, like weren't necessarily taught to you in school. How did you right. even some, some of them like aren't even, there are words in rap songs that aren't even words. So They're like, words. how did you, uh, did you have to like mime the, you are now discovering the difficulty of interpreting <laughs> a pep rally. Yeah. I mean, the, the good thing about sign language is you can finger spell. Like that's a normal part of the language is spelling the words out. Yeah. Like there's no time to spell no. out. You no. know, all there's, the things. There are rap songs where I'm like, uh, what? Like hey. I couldn't even, I what? Like how, how did you fit that many words into, you know, 0.2 seconds? I can't even imagine trying to spell, yeah. Yeah. It, was it wasn't, she did not need to know what the words were. She <laughs> got great joy out of seeing her interpreter having to try to keep up with this, like these young kids language. I mean, I wasn't that much older than her at the time. Honestly, I just graduated college, but yeah. anyway, that's a fun fact. I can oh, my interpret gosh. things. I almost language. feel like Emily, when this episode comes out, we're going to like, <laughs> we're going to like throw an Instagram story to you and be like, Emily, interpret this voice. <laughs> We'll do like, we'll do like a little, a little prompt, right? A little 15 seconds, something. Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh. I'm really glad to know this about you. Um, okay. So diving in. So you, like you mentioned, your podcast is called the next right thing. And first of all, I love it. Y'all, if you have not listened to this podcast, go listen. Emily, I can't remember if I heard this from you. I feel like maybe someone said this and you mentioned it on the show. Did someone say that it like feels like your mom just like rubbing your back at the end of the day? Yes. Someone left a review and, and I might've read that on the show because I thought that was so, such a lovely picture of something, you know, and well, the fact that she said listening to the podcast felt that way to her. I was like, Oh, I, I mean, <laughs> it's so true. And like, you couldn't possibly be any of our mothers. So it's like, a little different. <laughs> but like it, I mean, that's totally, it's so soothing and warm and comforting and oh, so good. So, but I want to, I want to talk about that phrase, the next right thing, because I, I know that one of the questions all of us are asking, no matter our age, no matter like whether you just graduated college or you're in your mid forties, or I mean, no matter where we are in life, I think we're all trying to figure out what am I supposed to be doing with my life? 
what does God want me to do with my life? What am I, what, what's next for me? You know, we're always, there's always something next and we're always trying to figure out what it is. And I think we're all really feeling like we're kind of suffering, trying to figure out like it's suffering in the waiting. And so can you talk to us about the phrase, like the next right thing? Why did you pick that phrase? And how is that different from like, what do I do with my life? Right. It's such a great question. And you know, I did not coin the phrase, so I'll give credit where it's due, which is a lot of places. Honestly, I know that Alcoholics Anonymous in their 12 steps, they have that, they talk about that concept a lot of doing the next right thing. Um, I know that mother Teresa has said something similar and Lamott, Brennan Manning, Martin Luther King Jr. It's everywhere. Um, and it's something that, and there's a reason why it's everywhere. It's, it's because it, I think it calms us down and it allows us to take what exactly what you said, which was, what do I do with my life? And it brings it down into a practical moment that's right now where we actually live. Because when we think about these questions of like those big questions, those big overarching, um, where am I going? What should I do? It really can, it can be overwhelming and it takes us, it's so intangible and it takes us outside of ourselves. And so one of the first times that that phrase was really powerful for me was when I was meeting in the sunroom of one of my spiritual mentors. Her name is Marion. And, um, I was sort of flying out in all directions. And I was, you know, when I meet with her, um, we've been meeting together for about four and a half years now. And I just kind of tell her all the things and she gets, you know, it's great because she's, she's older than I am and she doesn't run in any of my personal circles. We don't go to the same church. So it's sort of like a really safe place, which I highly recommend. Um, if you don't have to try to find that. It took me years, honestly, to find someone like her. But so I sit with her and I tell her all the things. And I remember she said that phrase to me. She said, you know, basically gave me that advice as I left her house. She said, when you get home, just ask yourself, what is my next right thing? She mm. said, it, it might be go to the bathroom. It might be check your email, make a pot of coffee, fold the towels. It doesn't have to be what is sometimes when we say, Oh, my next right thing. Okay. That means, um, apply for a job or, you know, put the house on the market. That could be a thing. Eventually that could be a thing, but what is your next right thing to do right now that might lead to that thing in the future? We just, that's the only question we can answer. And it really is a grounding and calming question to ask yourself. And once you do the next right thing, then you ask it again. Okay. Now what's my next right thing? And it, it's like a deep breath for your mind, because I think, um, a lot of times our our first step really is, um, sometimes we can ask that question. And if we haven't taken the time to sort of, uh, in a little bit of silence and a little bit of stillness to sort of declutter our mind and our soul, we might not even be able to know the answer to that question because we've got so much going on and swirling on our schedules and in our day. So I found that sometimes it helps to pause before I ask myself that question and really get a little bit grounded in the moment and then ask myself, okay, what's my, what is my actual next? I can only do one thing at a time. What is that next thing right mm-hmm. now? I love that. And, you know, I'm thinking about like some of the big decisions we have to make in life and, you know, like when you're going to college, you go to college and you're trying to pick your major because you're already thinking, what am I going to be doing when I'm 25? You know, people say things like, what's your five-year plan? And you're like, uh, okay, so I guess I have to figure this out. But the thing is, you have no idea the things that are going to happen, like the twists and turns that are going to happen in the next season that are going to totally send you off in a direction that you never could have imagined. So it's like you go to college for, you know, engineering, but somewhere in college, you have a really amazing experience with a teacher that shows you that actually you really want to be a teacher. And so halfway through college, you change your major and then you become a teacher. And so before you left for college, you're, you're imagining yourself as an engineer, having never taken an engineering class before. You have no idea if you're going to like it. And then you get into college, you have no idea that this experience is coming, but it's the exact right thing. And it's, you know, exactly like what God has for you. And, and, and so you can't, there's no way of predicting what's coming next because it's like, you know, something happens in between that, or we have no way of predicting what's going to happen two steps from now, because the next step is going to send us in a direction we never could have chosen before. And so I love that. Like, there's just no way of the only thing we can do is the next right thing. It is. And I think it sets us up. You bring up such a great point because it really sets us up oftentimes the way our especially here in the United States, the way that our educational system works and the choices that we're asked to make long before we're really ready or need to make them 
it sets us up to feel like failures sometimes, to feel like maybe we missed something along the way. And I think um, in the kingdom of God, the decision is rarely the point. I think the point is always union with Him and walking with Him and listening to Him and and becoming more fully myself. And He might, there might be ways that that happens um, beyond my five-year plan. Now, for those planners who are listening, because I know, I mean, I make plans, man, I, I'm not five years. That's a little much, but I, I do think a year ahead and I think about goals and, and plans, but I think often the mistake that we can make is we hold those with our fists closed rather than with our, our palms open. Mm-hmm. And I, and I do think that it's that that's sort of where this mindset comes in, which it really is a mindset. It's a next right thing mindset in a way mm-hmm. of, I can make these plans. Um, and I can do my next right thing with that in mind, that that's where I'm headed. Um, but if, if my next right thing next week ends up taking me in a different direction, but it feels like the next right thing for now, then I can trust that as I'm walking with God and as I'm connecting with my community and listening, well, I can trust that even if it might look not quite what I thought things would look like. Because I think sometimes we can look back at life and we say, well, God speaks to me this particular way, but then next week he might want to move in a different way. Or he might say one thing when you're 18 and then it changes when you're 28. And we often think, but he said this when I was 18. Well, maybe you needed that when you were 18 in order to get to where you are now. Mm -hmm. But that, that was not the point. The point is you becoming more fully yourself in the presence of God. And I think the next right thing is really the only place where that really happens is in the present moment. Well, and like God is outside of time. He's in the past and in the present and the future. I mean, God, yeah. time is is nothing to him, but we are bound by time. And so the only place where we can actually learn lessons and communicate with God and feel his presence and you know receive his provision is right in this moment. We can't feel his peace in the future because we're not there yet. Um, And so I think, you know, the things that he, you know, I love how I love and hate, I, maybe I hate it more, but I love how in the Lord's prayer, it says like, give us this day, our daily bread. And I'm like, God, can you, how about a bread factory? Like, how about you put me in charge of a bread factory? So I know that for the rest of time, I will have enough bread, but it's like, that's not how he works. We're dependent on him because every day we have to show up with our hands open saying, God, like, you know, I need, this is what I need today. And he's like, great, this is what I have for you today. This is what I have to teach you. And I feel like it's like stepping on stones across a river or something. You just can't skip one. You can't make it to two from now unless you step on the next one. Yeah. And that's what prepares you. It's when you pay attention to how Jesus talked to people in scripture um, and the stories that are told there, he doesn't tell people what to do for the next five years. After he performs a miracle, he gives them a next right step. He healed Jairus's young daughter. And then he said, make her something to eat. Mm. It's like he could have said anything and they would have done it. I mean, mm-hmm. anything because he just saved their daughter's life. Right. And instead what he, the instructions he gave them was make her lunch. And that was a next right thing mindset. Same with pick up your pallet and walk. Uh, go and tell no one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just has these very simple steps. And I wonder, sometimes I get creative in my imagination and I wonder if that's how the father spoke to Jesus in their private time together, because I just don't think there's a world where Jesus woke up in the morning and he knew what the day was going to hold. I just think that he, he walked along on the roads and he would meet people. Zacchaeus was there and then Bartimaeus on the, it's like, he just, but I don't think that was on his agenda. Yeah. He was just available and aware. And oftentimes I think the disciples were super frustrated about that situation (laughs) because they thought there was a plan right? and it was being sidelined by these distractions. Whereas I think Jesus is like, this is my next right thing. That is the plan. Mm -hmm. And it's such an upside down way of thinking. It for sure is. And I think like, I'm definitely a planner type and I'm, I'm like a five-year plan kind of person, but it's funny when you said five years is a little too long, because I think that that's what I discovered that I would make a five-year plan. And at year two, God would have changed me and not in a way that it's like, you know, I'm zigzagging all over the place. Although it can feel like that sometimes it's like, when I look back, God is taking me somewhere. It feels a little jagged in the moment. It feels kind of crazy and, and like, Um, disorganized in the moment. But looking back, I'm like, no, these things have been building on top of each other. I just didn't really have the perspective to be able to see it. And so I think like 
having a plan, you know, we have to be, we have to be doing the next right thing. We have to be doing something in order to be moving forward. Um, and I think a lot of times when we're waiting on God to tell us like what his plan is for our lives, we just stay stagnant. We don't do anything. And and that's, that's not going to get us anywhere either. It's like, we have to just take one step at a time, but when we're faithful to take one step at a time, a year later, we end up somewhere really good. My favorite quote is, um, uh, be who you, or no, nope. That's one of my favorite quotes is be who you needed when you were younger. The other one is a year from now, you will wish you had started today. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Like do the next right thing today. Take one more step forward. Like you don't have to be a year ahead tomorrow. It's just <laughs> a little bit. You can't do that. It's just a little bit at a time. Yeah. I really love that. So one thing that you mentioned as, as we're talking about this is you mentioned decluttering your soul. Um, and I know that you've talked about that. I think you've also used the phrase like being like a soul minimalist. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Weird, right? Yeah. So it's funny. I was, um, I first heard, well, I listened to a podcast episode, honestly, between, um, Joshua Becker, who has a blog called becoming minimalist. Mm -hmm. And he's written several books as well on the subject about actual minimalism, like what we know that is. Um, and he was talking with Tish Oxenwriter on her podcast years ago, and they were talking about the concept of minimalism and living more with less or whatever the tagline is. I don't remember. But as I was listening to that podcast, I was actually also at the gym, which I don't always do things at the gym, but this particular story shows <laughs> up there. Um, you know, I was on the treadmill doing my thing. No, but um, You're like, don't so be was, that impressed. Be a little like, impressed. Not that impressed. I go sometimes, but not often, but it just yeah. so happens that's where the story takes, takes place. Yes. But as I was listening on the treadmill to this podcast, he talked about how we often have um, input into our houses every day there's input. We're bringing in papers from the kids' school. We're bringing in mail that comes in. You know, it's always like things build up. And you know, the I, I'm a piler, which I hate about myself, but whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's just stacks of things around the house that I'm going to get to later, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but then you, you, you get overwhelmed and then there's like a Saturday and you're like, we got to declutter this house and you throw stuff away and you do the whole thing. And I thought as I'm in the gym and there's all, and I'm thinking it's happening right now. Like there's, input everywhere in this gym. There's people here and then there's TV, you know, all the TVs at the Mm -hmm. gym. So many, so much input, not just in my home, but also in our environment. And then I of course thought about, because I think about the soul always, I think that our souls are hidden beneath the piles of our everyday life. And what do I do when my soul is constantly getting input? Where's the output? Mm. And, and, and what does it look like to to take that same concept of decluttering my house, where are we decluttering on the level of our soul? And by that, I simply mean that awkward conversation that you had with that girl that used to be your friend, but now you've kind of drifted apart. It rattles around in there. That fight you might've had with your spouse that morning, and then they went to work and you didn't really resolve it. It's rattling around on the level of your soul. What does it look like to have some of that be have some peace come into that space and resolve some of that anxiety. And I think the most practical way I have found to declutter my soul is in stillness and in silence. Mm -hmm. And everyone just groans a wild (laughs) (laughs) groan of complaint because that is the worst. And it's so hard, but I have found that even five minutes can make a really big difference. And just letting the silence settle down beyond sort of this outward space, but settle down onto the inward parts of my soul, just to let some of that stuff rise up to the surface and then release it in God's presence. And even just being aware that it's there can really help to let it go. I don't know if you've ever experienced like something is bothering you and it continues to bother you. But when you finally have the chance to talk about it with a friend or with a spouse or even in prayer, it kind of relieves, relieves some of the power that it had because you were just able to get it out. Mm-hmm. And I think the same can be true for some of these overwhelming things that happen on the inside. And so if you're in a place of transition or in a facing a, a small decision, but especially a big decision, that clutter on the soul level, it, it exists between your decision-making ability and your deepest desire. So it clouds that space so that your deepest desire might not be able to come through because it's clouded by anxiety and fear and hurt and nerves and frustration and overwhelm. We got to clear some of that out so that we can access, oh, what do I, what might I really want to do? Because as our hearts are united with God's, we can trust our desire when we state it in his presence. Hmm. 
You know, I, I love that you mentioned decisions. You know, I know that we have so many women here who are facing a big decision in their lives. And I know that this is something you've really talked about a lot. And so I know that like doing our next right thing breaks it down so much and is like, okay, it, it breaks it into smaller bites. Yeah. But how do we make, how do we go about making good decisions? Like once we've kind of quieted our soul a little bit, given ourselves some silence and some space, which I know everyone is like, that shouldn't be hard, but it is it's so hard. <laughs> um, it's so hard. But how do we like walk us through making a decision? It's such a great question. It's something that I think if you ask different people, they will have different answers and they might all be right. And so it could depend on the decision, but I do, there are three principles that I sort of follow when making a decision. And it does begin with that becoming a soul minimalist and quieting yourself. That is an important step. And I would say the second step and this, and I say step, but maybe I should say rhythm or movement because it's really not something you could check off, but would be allow, allowing yourself to name the things that are unnamed within you. And by that, I mean, there might be things within you that have to do with this decision. Like, let's say, for example, um, like for example, me starting the podcast last year. Um, and I was trying to decide, do I want this do I want to do this or not? And it, it's a simple decision. So I'll, I'll use it because it's, that's an accessible thing, but I had to name some of the fears that existed that were keeping me from doing the thing, which was like uh, this format I want to do, isn't going to work. I don't really hear a podcast out there. That's like this. It's just me. I don't know the technology. Like there were lots of like really practical things, but instead of sort of taking the time to name, Oh, these are fears. These are things that are keeping me because I'm, I'm allowing those things to be bigger than they need to be in my mind. If I didn't take the time to name those things or those fears, then I might've just been like, well, it just feels too hard or it's just, Oh, it's not the right time. I could have sort of talked myself out of it without recognizing and maybe even writing down, Oh, what is this is happening? And within that, I think a great question to ask yourself is uh, when it, when you hold a decision in your, in your mind is, am I, making this decision from a place of fear or from a place of love. And I think that questioning whether or not you're being pushed around by fear or you're being settled in as someone who is loved and also moving forward in love, that can really change your mind about something because it doesn't mean that your decision will be, yes, okay, I'm going to do this, but at least it will be that your decision is not going to be because of fear. Because that is the worst reason in the world to make a decision is out of fear, whether to do something or not to do something, because I've done both. Yes. Yes. Um, but there could be a lot of great reasons why you are not to do a thing, but don't ever let fear be one of them because that's not what we're called to. And that is not where life is found. Yeah. And so I would say that would be sort of combo second step. And then the third one is simply do the next right thing. And that is in paying attention to based on this grounded place, based on this question, I'm asking myself fear or love. What is the, what is the next thing that makes sense for me to do today? And again, sometimes it might be nothing that has to do with that decision. It might be, you know what? I don't know yet about this decision. So I'm just going to do the laundry. And that is what my life is going to look like today. Mm -hmm. um, and trust that, you know, we are embodied people. I don't believe that our spirituality is separate from our bodies and our minds. And, and so as we work with our hands and do things, I think sometimes God can help to trigger some things in our mind when we're not thinking about it. So it's yes. almost like our subconscious works for us mm -hmm. behind the scenes when we give it a chance to breathe a little bit. It's like, instead of just staring it down, I'm like, what should I do? You know, you're looking at this thing in the face and it's kind of like, give me some room, mm -hmm. you know, and let desire rise up to the surface and don't be so afraid of it. And I think oftentimes for me, and I've heard this countless times from other people, um, it happens when you're doing something that is, um, moving your body. And when you're not so focused on that, that decision, yes. take a, taking a walk, washing the dishes in the shower, those types of things, mm -hmm. it really is an important part of the decision-making process. Yes. My husband is a big, he's a, he owns like a branding and marketing firm and he's a big like design thinker. Um, he studied industrial design, like product design in college. And so he's really 
like he could talk for days and days and days about creativity and how that happens and like how to design, like design thinking, which is like such a complicated thing. And I totally didn't understand it until I met him. But, um, I remember him teaching like a group of my friends about this one time where for the most creative things to happen, you need to be putting like inputting things that are directly applicable to what you're thinking about. So it's like, you know, if we're talking about I don't know why I keep picking this because I just know it's a huge, huge decision, but like where you're going to go to college, you're reading all of the like articles about this college. You're reading all of the, like the description on the website, you're reading whatever college book your mom got you, whatever. So you're doing like something really specific to that thing. But then he, he says, you need to be doing something that's separate. That's like inputting something that has nothing to do with it. So that's like reading a book about God, reading the Bible, spending time with friends. That's, you know, reading a fiction book. It's, it's thinking about something else and then taking time away from it all and being in the shower. And he's like, that's the moment that things show up because you've had a chance to like make connections between ideas that you never would have been able to before because you were really focused. Like you have all the information you need. And then you brought in other information that just like rounds out your mind a little bit. And then you stepped away and then your mind can kind of work it out. And I feel like that's such a, like, I don't know, like ethereal sort of idea, but, but I love that. I love that idea of like walking away from it. I'm also really glad that you said fear, letting, not letting fear push you around because I think like the first mental picture I got was of a bully, like kind of being up in your face and pushing you on the playground. And that's absolutely what fear looks like. And totally. Um, my decision-making filter for, um, not everything, but it's worked in a lot of different ways is if I knew that God was going to be holding my hand every step of the way, what would I do? And I mean, that's true. You know, he promises, promises us he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And I, you know, when I think about it that way, because a lot of times I'll think like, oh, I don't want to make him mad or, you know, I have to do this on my own or, you know, if I really truly believe that God loves me and he's going to be with me every step of the way. What would I do? And usually not always, but usually I end up wanting to do the harder thing, the scarier thing, the more intimidating thing, the thing that's further outside my comfort zone. Cause I feel like I can do anything if he's there with me. I just forget that he's there with me sometimes, but he is. It's such a great point you bring up. And I'm so glad you said it because how we see God has everything to do with how we make decisions. Because if we see him as you know, like an angry parent or crossing his arms on the other side of the room. Or if we use phrases about him, I had a teacher say this once, if we use, think of the phrases we use when we talk about God, things like, um, the other shoe is going to drop, or he pulled the rug out from under me. God doesn't pull rugs out from under us. God is with us and he's our kind, our kind companion in every situation. And so I think it's important to pay attention to those narratives that we have about God. Dallas Willard said, never believe anything bad about God. Mm-hmm. And I think if we took that to heart, our decision-making life could be completely transformed because now we're not, we're not afraid. He's not some He's not some circus person who's got, you know, some three cups and our right decision is hiding underneath one of his cups. And we've got to guess which one it is. And if we guess wrong, we lose. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't work that way. But I think we have to get quiet and name some of those unnamed narratives that we believe about him. That's some hard work right there. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. come easy or quick, but that is when our decision-making life really will begin to be transformed is when we start to see him for who he really is and how he wants to walk with us and all this stuff. And I think we'll be so surprised one day, maybe, maybe now, maybe now that day is now for us. But when we really begin to believe that he's good and that he's true and he's with us and he's beautiful and he loves us and that we're his beloved. I just think he might be like, I I don't care what you do. Like if you do it in my presence and if you do it with me and if you're trusting me along the way, do what pleases you. I mean, that sounds scandalous and it's probably not what a lot of us have grown up thinking, but I think obviously there's some moral things that are clearly not not going to be great for you. And there's consequences. But when it comes to some of the decisions that I think you and I are talking about that people have, Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's really always this black and white, right or wrong answer. I think it's more, what does it mean to take your next right step in the presence of God? Mm -hmm. And remember that he's with us. And that's what is going to transform us into the people with the character of Christ. And that's where that's, that's the life we want to live, the life of joy and of trust and of faith. That's really what we want when it comes down to it. 
Yes. I think, um, gosh, that's such a good point. I think that we, when, and you mentioned this earlier, but when we're spending time with the Lord, when we're close to him, when we're listening to him, when we're spending time in his word, when we're letting ourselves be transformed by him, I think you're right. We really can trust our desires more. Like scripture says that our heart is deceitful beyond all things. And goodness, I know that that's true. And so I think in a lot of ways, like we really hesitate to trust our desires. And sometimes I think that that's wise because I know I've desired all kinds of things that the Lord was like, this is not best for you. But the more that I've aligned my life with him and gotten close to him and been in a relationship with him, the more my desire for things that don't look like him has just kind of fallen away or the more I can see the truth in them or like kind of the, the lie in them. And so I think that when we, you're exactly right. Like when we, when we're close to him, I don't, yeah, I don't know if he cares like what college we go to. He's like, kiddo, I'm with you either way. I'm going to be there. I'm going to use it. I'm going to, do things in it that you can't even imagine. But no, your plan, my, my plan is not going to be screwed up for your life if you go to this school versus this school or if you take this job versus this job. He's like, what sounds good? What sounds fun? What do you think? Where do you want to make an impact? What are you interested in? I get questions from from women sometimes who are like, stuff, I, I really want to go serve in another country, but I don't know if that's God's will for me. And I'm like, well, first of all, that is all over scripture that he wants us to be serving people, whether it's in our country or in the nations. But also like, do you really think God wouldn't want you to do that? Like if you... A desire like that can be trusted. You know, if you want to go into ministry, go into ministry. Are you kidding? If you want to teach school and you love kids, teach school, love kids. If you want to, I don't know, if you meet a really great guy and you want to go on a date with him, go on a date with him, see what happens. Um, I just, I think you're so right. We're so afraid of picking the wrong cup and we're so afraid that God's going to be angry and he's going to punish us and we're going to have screwed up his total plan for our life, but he just doesn't work that way. Yeah. God's will is that we are with him. That's his will for your life is that, that you're with him. And I, and I think that that can be our filter so often in some of this stuff, but you're right. I mean, I think you articulated so well, some of that fear and anxiety that people have, especially around that question, what is God's will for my life? And man, that I think, I think Jesus's life, I think the sermon on the Mount, I think we can see, he states very clearly what his will is, Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean a particular college. It means a certain kind of life. It Mm. means a particular way of living and walking and being in the world among people. Um, And I think that the more we begin to let that sort of sink down into our bones, the more we will be people who are more aware of the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom that we can always see around us. I I love that you said that filter, like he wants us to be with him. And that's such a good filter because I can think of seasons in my life where I was like, should I do this? Is this right or wrong? And, or, you know, I'm trying to like find, you know, a prescription in scripture about it or asking everyone I know, like, what do you think about this? But I know, like, we know if something that we're doing makes us feel far from God or feels like it takes us away from him or like we know. And, and so if it's like, Whatever the decision is, I think that that's such a good filter. Does this bring you closer to the Lord? Does it help you be closer to Him? Or does it take you further away? And like, goodness, that's, that's a pretty clear signpost right there. It is. And and the truth is that might be one answer now. And six months from now, it could change. And so I think we sometimes think you have to make a decision now forever. And it could be, yes, you go on that mission field. And then you might get there. And two years later, you're like, I've never been further from God in my whole life. And this is the hardest thing ever. And I don't feel anything like myself and that there may be time for a change. So I think just remaining light on our feet and holding things with an open hand is all part of that next right thing mindset, you know, of sort of not thinking that this one decision is a decision forever. I don't, I just don't think it works that way. So how do we then, I I feel like everyone who's listening is, is like, yes, yes. Also, Oh, because it's the worst. Yeah. It's the worst. Like that is so unclear. I don't want to be light on my feet. I don't want to write in pencil. I want like a permanent marker that says, Stephanie, turn left. This is the life you'll love and you'll get there and you'll stay there forever. So how do we, knowing that we need to be light on our feet, like how do we, can we feel peace in that? Like, how do we, how do we exist in that tension? Well, I think there are some things you can write in permanent marker. They just might not be the things that we expect. Um, my friend, And teacher James Bryan Smith says, I am one in whom Christ delights and dwells, and I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. Listen, y'all, write that in permanent marker. 
because that is going to be sure and true no matter what. Mm. And I think the more we hold on to those sure things and allow Christ to be our sure thing, the less we're going to insist that our five-year plan makes sense. And so having said that, I do know there are some practical help and tips and things that we want to look at and to do. And one thing that's helped me, um, I know people love to make lists, especially those of us who are planners. Mm -hmm. And so, um, one list that I hate is the pro con list because I don't think it accurately, I don't think it measures what we hope it measures. Cause a pro con list is like, I have three pros and 10 cons. So that means I should not do this thing. But, but your you pro have, is like, like yeah. the Lord would like, this brings me closer to God. Your con is like, uh, it's inconvenient. You're it's like, those are, away. right. <laughs> yeah, those you, are... They don't weigh the same amount. Yes. So you have to consider. So it's like, it's helpful in that it helps you process your thoughts and get stuff on paper. But I feel like that's like the most surface thing you could possibly do. And also, also we often tend to make those pro con lists when we are freaking out <laughs> and we don't know what else to do. So we're like, pro con. okay, let's figure this out. Um, yep. but what I, I think what's better that's okay. That works. But what's better is to be a person for whom a, a different kind of list is a part of your daily is a part of your life rhythm. So I like to make what I call a life energy list, which is asking yourself the question about a particular period of time and a particular area of your life. So like, let's say we choose this past summer and we think about our, I don't know, the work, our work, our work this past summer. So maybe it's like three months at a time. Um, and we take that portion, exact portion of time and that topic. And we ask ourselves two questions. What was life, what was life draining and what was life giving in that area? And then you make a list. You can make a list. This is a different kind of list. It's a reflection list rather than a looking forward in fear. We're going to look back and reflect and find those things in our work that was life draining and things that were life giving. And this is a, this is a curiosity practice. And it's, and it's taking that idea of, okay, I do want to make a list, get things down, but it's sort of giving yourself permission to see your life for what it actually is. And sometimes, I mean, you'll know right away that was, that drained me, but that gave life. Now, this does not mean that you're going to eliminate all the life draining things. However, moving forward, it could help you make some decisions about the future in your work. You Mm -hmm. might next summer, because here's what happens. If we don't do the work of reflection next summer comes around, we're doing things the way we've always done them. And it might be worse this time. It might be more overwhelming this time or more life draining. We don't know why, because we just moved on to the next season. And so I think that though this might not be most helpful with you, when you have a pressing decision right here, I will say from, from me personally, making a regular practice of making a, this type of energy life energy list has helped me be a more grounded decision maker because I'm more aware of the things that I feel like God has called me to the things that bring life, um, the things that drain life and it helps me moving forward. And so that can, that is a little bit more of a big picture kind of list that we can make. And just a, you know, pro tip, make the life draining part first and then end with the life giving list because I've done it the opposite way. It's super unfun. And it's like, you end on this really blurgy note, and so just do it in that order and you will, th- your future self will thank you. That is such a good pro tip. <laughs> and I love that. Like, I feel like it just gives us insight to who we are. And, you know, if you are a teacher and you're like, okay, what about this last semester was life giving to me? And you're like lesson planning and you're like, what was life draining to me? And you're like interacting with children. You're like, wait a minute. (laughs) Okay. Wait a minute. There's something wrong here, but there is so much room for someone who is strategic thinking and and loves making lesson plans. Like, good God, we all need that skill. We all need people who who can do that. And, And if you realize like that is the thing that is true and good out of this for me, that's the way that I'm gifted. The thing that's draining is I don't love teaching kids. Well, maybe it's like, okay, maybe you would like teaching high schoolers or college students, or maybe teaching isn't your thing. Maybe you work in school administration or some other kind of thing where you get to use that strategic part of your brain. But I think that that gives us so much insight. Um, and actually, well, I was just going to say, I think we get stuck in this trap of like, Oh, I like curriculum. That means I have to be a teacher. And we think things are so linear, but I, but when we allow ourselves to sort of look at these lists and recognize I have this weird skill, I have this weird passion, I have this strange desire, and we can trust that our good good and faithful father might weave those things together in a really weird, quirky job for us that we could never come up with on our own. But if we didn't take the time to pay attention, 
we might never have seen that. Oh man, that's so my story. I I feel like it has to be yours too. Our jobs are pretty like they're so uh, weird. They're so weird. We have yes. weird jobs. This is yes. weird. We never yes, would have weird. said at eighteen like, well, when I grow up, I'm going to like. It's just we didn't have the language for it. There wasn't the nope. technology for it. You know, right? we right. didn't know. Right. I know. <laughs> I know. Hey friends, I wanted to pop in for one quick second to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is a company called Native. As Native likes to say, sometimes it rains on your birthday, sometimes the line for coffee wraps around the block, sometimes gas goes up 10 cents, sometimes life stinks. The good news is you don't have to because Native has your back. Native is a deodorant brand that creates safe, simple, effective products with trusted ingredients. They have thousands of five-star reviews, so you know people are pretty much obsessed with their products. And I totally get why. In the last couple of years, I've been trying to incorporate cleaner, non-toxic products into my everyday routine. And I love Native because they really do use simple ingredients that are found in nature, like coconut oil and shea butter, and they formulate their products without any aluminum, parabens, or talc. You guys, I'm telling you, I have tried so many different types of deodorant, and this is by far my favorite. Making the switch to an aluminum-free deodorant was so easy, and it works great. Native's awesome because they have something for everyone. They have scents for both men and women. My favorite scent is lavender and rose. It's light and it's feminine, but it's also clean and fresh, and it still smells fresh even at the end of the day. You don't end up with that like half-sweat, half-old deodorant smell that so many others leave you with. I feel fresh and clean all day as I use it, and best of all, I feel comfortable using it because I know I'm not putting scary chemicals on my skin. So along with deodorant, Native also has body wash, toothpaste, and a new mineral-based sunscreen, all made with great, simple ingredients. And of course, I love Native even more because they have a gift for my listeners. You can stay fresh and stay clean with Native by going to nativedeo.com girls or use promo code girls at checkout, and that will give you 20% off your first order. Again, that's nativedeo.com girls or use promo code girls at checkout for 20% off your first order. Okay, let me say that one more time just in case you missed it. It's nativedeo.com slash girls, or you can use the promo code girls at checkout, and that'll get you 20% off your first order. Native, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We just love having you. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's jump back into my conversation with Emily. So I have heard you talk about this before and I can't remember what book it was and I can't remember what you said, but it stuck out to me. So I need you to say it for me again. <laughs> um, I remember hearing you talk about one time, I think that there was some book you read about listening to your life. Is that a thing? And oh, yeah. if it is, tell us what the book is and tell us about that. Because I remember that phrase sticking out to me and I, well, I need to pick up the book, right. but I, I just remember really liking that idea. And that seems to be like exactly what we're talking about here. Yes. Well, there's two books. One is Parker Palmer called Let Your Life Speak. It's a very small oh. book. Yep. Is that the one? And then there's another one by Adam McHugh called The Listening Life. So they're oh kind gosh. of like, it's, yes, it's morphing. You're morphing both of them together, I am, which yes. I do all the time because I love both of these books. But basically the concept is, yeah, pay attention to, um, not just don't tell your life what it needs to be. Pay attention to what your life to pay attention to what your life wants to be. I'm saying that all wrong, but Parker says it much more beautifully. Um, but I think there is something to that. And it's, it, it has to do with like a lot, a lot of the things that we've talked about is, is desire. And, um, one of my favorite stories from his book is towards the beginning, he talks about, he had this opportunity to be, I don't remember if it was pre president or chancellor of a, of a university. And he didn't know if he should do it or not. Should he take the position or not? And when he met with some wise counselors and friends and um, to help him sort of discern that, they asked him some really important questions. And they asked like, well, do you like, you know, leading large groups of people? No. Do you like administration? And they asked him all these questions of what the job actually was. And his answer was no. And they were like, well, what are you looking forward to about this job? And he said, well, I, I'm pretty sure if I take this job, they'll put my name in the newspaper. And that was it. <laughs> Oh my, that's an enormous job for a line in a newspaper. And one of the people said that they said, Parker, I think there's probably easier ways to get your name in the newspaper. But uh -huh. when he got real honest and allowed himself to name something that had previously been unnamed within him, which was his desire for some attention <laughs> and some <laughs> accolades in the newspaper, he could, he could then make that decision with ease because he realized, Oh, what I really want is this weird little small thing over here. Maybe 
maybe I don't need that. Or maybe I can find other ways to do that thing that are much more myself. And so that's what he did. I, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot that we talk about a lot in my community is singleness and dating. And I think that a lot of times we're really craving a relationship and and it's because, you know, that's what the world tells us we should want. And that's because, you know, there's so much pressure from like our mom and aunt Susan and like everyone being like, why aren't you married yet? And, you know, and because we're feeling some sort of like dissatisfaction or loneliness or frustration. And I think that sometimes like the desire to pair your life with someone is so holy and so beautiful. It's not something we should try to talk ourselves out of, or that we should try to squash or that we should feel bad for having. But I do think that sometimes when we, you know how they say that, like, if you're hungry, you might be actually thirsty. Yeah. I think that that's like, like, I think that that can be similar when it comes to things like this or our relationships, even when, you know, we're thinking like we really, really need to get into a romantic relationship, but really what we're craving is companionship. And we might not actually really be in a place where we want to be dating or we're ready, but what we really need is someone in our life. And like friendship is actually what we're craving or relationship with the Lord, or we're feeling lonely and unseen, but really what we need is not a guy to take us on a couple of dates. We need the Lord to tell us who he is and who we are because of who he is. And, um, so I think that like being really honest about whatever the thing is, like, why do you want to be in a relationship? Is it because you like the attention thing is what brought that up is like, sometimes it's like, man, I just want to be seen. Yeah. Like, I mean, that is such a true desire, but like, it might be better fulfilled elsewhere or, you know, I, you know, I'm really wanting, I don't know, fill in the blank, but really what you're wanting is something else. And so I think like being really honest, and that's kind of a scary list to make, like, what about this? Are you actually craving? It really is illuminating for us and, and helps us move forward. Yeah. I love that. Emily, the, the last thing I want to ask you about before we dive into our last couple of questions is, you know, you talk about creating space for your soul to breathe and, and something that I know that you really value and speak a lot about is rest and nurturing our soul. And, I, you know, I know that maybe asking for practical ways to do this is sort of anti-rest and anti-nurturing <laughs> our soul, but I'm going to ask for it anyway, for those of us who are planners, like how do we, what are some practical ways that we can, you know, in create some like restful rhythms in our lives or, you know, that we can really actually create space for our soul to breathe, knowing how hard that is these days. It's a great question. And it's one I struggle with every day because I have, when you take those tests, like that tell you what kind of personality you are, I don't remember which test it is, whichever one it is where my highest one is achiever. Like that's my first, I think it's the strengths finder. Okay. It's like, achiever. And the next is like strategy. So basically I'm like, I don't know, a businessman. <laughs> you're like, you're like anti-rest. You're it's like to-do list. Let's check. Right? Yes. Yes. Not, no, no offense to businessmen or women, because you can be a businesswoman and still be an achiever strategy. But my point is that I, I feel like it's anti to what I, sometimes I feel like my personality is opposite from the things I talk about. Honestly, mm -hmm. it's like they war against each other because the truth is I am both. I both I'm a high achiever and I like to strategize and I think that way, uh, and achieve, you know, I have to make goals and equally true at the same time, I value white space and lack of achieving and resting and, so, and, and simply being, but I will say one is easier than the other. And it's much easier for me to stay busy than it is. It takes more work to rest than it does to work, which sounds crazy, but that is the reality, at least in my own life. And I resonate so, with that so much. I, I, you know, my, my girlfriends that are listening to this are like, Oh, Steph, because I, for years have talked about how I feel like there are two different versions of me. And they're almost like kind of like caricatures or, or like if I was like a character or something, but one of them is wearing stilettos and she has three cell phones and she has four planners and she's like running the world. She has plans and strategies and a 10 year plan and, and she's busy and, and she gets stuff done. And, and I, so that's part of me. The other part of me is like not wearing shoes and she's wearing like a flowy dress and she's in a field somewhere like praying and with her people and listening to the Lord. And I feel like in different seasons, I've gotten to be more that free flowy shoeless version of myself. But then in other seasons, that stiletto version is like not giving her any room to breathe. And that's been, I mean, just this back and forth that I've felt for years where I'm like, I haven't been that dreamy, restful 
connected version of myself. And as long as I can remember, because this stiletto version of me is not giving her room. And I think for the longest time, I really resented the busy achieving part of myself because I thought that it was so counter to who God made me. And finally someone was like, Steph, I think that these, the fact that these both exist in you is really special and really important. And they both need space, but it's, you know, having that achiever, like strategy version of yourself, like God also made us that way. You know, I I don't know if I've ever heard anyone else explain that as true, like in a way that feels so true to who I am. So I just had to say that. Okay. So what do we do? Well, I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. Now plan. No, I'm glad that you said that because I think it's important to honor both of those people because just like you for so long, and I don't know if it's growing up in the church or the Christian culture or in the South or what it is, but I do know that there is, it's just like the Hallmark movies where the trope of the, the, the woman who's high powered and she works in New York city. And then she goes back to her hometown for a reunion and she's the worst, but then she becomes the best because she decides to stay there in the small town. And it's just Mm -hmm. like this repeated narrative that is, it's bad to be busy and to have a full life. And it's good to be slow and to live on the farm. And I think we sort of translate that into our own lives. And we, you know, we sort of chastise ourselves when we are high achievers and we do think of strategy and man, I just, um, I'm learning that I think that is doing a disservice to our image bearing identity. And so what does it mean? Because there are negative sides of being restful too. Like I can, there, there are negative sides to all things. Gifts come with shadows always. So I think learning uh, to, allow, first of all, changing that narrative of, okay, I am both a high achiever and I value rest. How can these coexist? One way that I do this, and I have done this for years, and it helps, but it's not, it's not a perfect system, but it's, you can adopt it. <laughs> and you might already do this. But I, when I have on my calendar, when I know there's a a big season of work coming, like for example, we just had a big launch last, last week recently with our writing membership site called hope writers. And so it took a lot. I mean, we had, I worked weird hours and it was, you know, I'm doing a a live class at 8 PM, which normally that is like way too late for me to be on camera Mm -hmm. saying words with my mouth, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's that's like a watching movie headed towards bedtime. Yeah. Like there's not real clothes at that time. There's pajamas, but, but that was not my week that week that it was a work week. And, um, and I loved it for the most part, but I also knew that my reward, I I create a system of rewards. (laughs) I knew that one thing I knew I was going to do when we closed our doors um, to new members was I picked a reward and it's simple. It was a, my sister had just created an online class and it was about decorating your home for fall. And I had not done anything in my home for months. Like that was fun and life giving to me. And so I was saving this class to watch once I finished this work and it was so, and and I did it and it was so life giving and it was celebratory and it was fun. And I watched it with my girls. And then we did some of the stuff, you know, that she suggested in the video, but, um, that was really deeply restful for me. And because it was something I planned as a planner, it felt like, Oh, I can check this off. You know, when you make, you have, sometimes we have to trick ourselves and make rest. We have to make it sort of a, an item on our list because it's equally as important as the dentist. And uh, you know, well, it's more important than going to the dentist, but don't tell my dentist I said that. (laughs) But I just think that sometimes we see it as like, well, when I have time, I'll rest. But I think sometimes we just have to create the time for it. And, and it, gets to look like what you need it to look like in the season of life that you're in right now. Oh, that I'm going to truly remember that forever. Like, Hey, little planner girl, you're going to trick yourself. Like today you're going to go for a walk and read a book that has nothing or like listen to a book that has nothing to do with work. It's part of your day on your agenda. Get it done. Get it done. I've already decided. I already know the book I'm going to read. I'm in grad school right now, but our, this current class I'm in ends, you know, in like three weeks and I've already chosen the book I'm going to read, like the, like the fun, non-school related book I'm reading. It's Knox McCoy's The Wondering Years, and I'm going to read it and I cannot wait. And it's on my bookshelf right now, but I just, I'm saving it because that's going to be like my restful reward. I love that so much. Oh <laughs> gosh. And every planner said, amen. And every restful <laughs> champion was like, you guys need this. We're like, yeah, we need this. Just, <laughs> like, what do you mean you have to plan for that? I right. know. I right. know. Well, okay. Emily, I could ask you about this forever, but I want to ask you these last three questions. And the first one is what is God teaching you these days? You know, it's a great segue. It's like, we planned this, but we didn't. 
No, we didn't. I am learning what it, uh, I'm sort of learning what it means to rest in his presence. I don't really know how to rest in the presence of God on a really deeper level lately. I think I have experienced that. Um, and I know how to plan these restful rewards and I can do that. Um, and I think he's with me in all of those places, but I think I've been longing for something maybe on a, a little bit of a deep, even deeper level. Um, that's a little more long lasting. And I, I feel like I'm, I feel, I, it's like, I hear a faint invitation in the distance from him and I want to respond to it. And I'm sort of learning what that might look like. And it has to do with doing my next right thing. Um, it has to do with being still and silent and that's about all I know right now. But I, but I know he's with me in it and I know he's my good shepherd and with him, I have everything I need. And so that's something I'm learning lately is, is how to respond to that invitation. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. And it's like really pretty encouraging because I feel like I think it's always encouraging when someone we think is really knocking it out of the park in a way they say, I'm still learning about this. And so I would think like, who knows how to rest in the Lord's presence better than you? Like, I mean, whatever our thing is, whatever we're like, no matter what way the Lord is using us or, you know, whatever we write about, it's like, no, I mean, probably if someone's writing about something, they're learning it extra. Extra, right. That's That's usually the case because you don't, nobody wants to hear from a pro anyway. We want to hear from co-journeyers, right? So we're in this together. (laughs) My husband always says, um, he's like a big sports guy. And he always says that the, the basketball players that are like naturally amazing are always the worst coaches because it's like, they just showed up and did it. Like they they didn't have to learn. I mean, of course they practice hard and you know, they learn technique and stuff like that. Yeah, whatever, whatever. But it's like, they're so, they just have this like gifting for it. And, but the people who really had to work, like they end up being better coaches. So it's like, man, maybe like anytime you see an author talk about something, you're like, Oh, so you're bad at this, right? right. Yeah. Okay. You yes. Just outed yourself. We got it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So my second question is, um, what is something that you're just loving these days? And honestly, it can be like the most random thing in the world, oh, or yeah. it can be deep if you want it to be deep, no, but it could be like not. tacos. If it's I'll tacos. tell you right now. I just started watching Poldark on Amazon Prime. Have you okay. ever seen this show? No. It's so good. I'm okay, only so- I'm only a few episodes in, so I can't speak to it if you've seen beyond like episode three or four because I haven't seen it. Before. But it's just like it's a show that takes place after England lost America. <laughs> That's the worst way to describe. No, but everyone's like, like yeah, no, I know you're yeah, talking about like okay. that yeah. war. Mm-hmm. Is it the Revolutionary American, War? The Revolutionary yeah. War, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so Poldark is the main person character and he, he would, but he was in the British side. So he comes okay. back from fighting in the war and yeah. lost. And so it's about sort of oh, his life and it is, it's like a different perspective than we see. Yeah. Like we know Hamilton, but this is yeah. sort of the other side. Um, yeah. so anyway, and it's just sort of his life and that whole thing, but it's, but I mean, honestly, like the story is great, but it's also the scenery and the music is just, I mean, rolling hills and cliffs and it's just beautiful. Mm. So that's been, and my husband watches it with me too. So, so oh, that's far. Fun. So it's always fun to find shows that you can watch with your person, you know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm a, like a total baby when it comes to shows. I'm like, it has to be happy and have a good message and have no violence. Cause I just like, I can't like, uh, Carl caught me watching a Hallmark movie recently and he was like, you should be watching all of these. These are perfect for you. <laughs> um, but he, so he watches like people be like, Oh, have you seen the new cool show? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, you watch that after I go to bed, don't you? And he's like, yep. So it's always great when we can find a show where it's like, we both are into it. And yeah. so I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah. Okay. So my last question is who is a woman who's been inspiring you lately? You know, I love this question. I love championing championing other women. But I will tell you the first person who comes to my mind is my sister. Her name is Michael and Smith and she goes by the nester online. You can find her at the nester.com, but she, she's, she wrote her second book that comes out in October and the end of October. And it's called the cozy minimalist home. And I feel like she is a person who, of course I've always looked up to her because she's my big sister. Um, she's about three and a half years older than I am, but I think she, in this space, in this world where there's a lot of things pulling at our attention and we can get distracted from sort of our true calling. She's always been a person who she's not impressed by mirrored balls. She doesn't go chasing bunnies down trails. She has 
a, she sets her face like a flint for what she wants to do. And she wants to encourage women in their homes. And that is what she's doing. And she does it better than anybody that I know. And listen, when I watch this class that she, I mean, I cry every time. And I don't think it's just because my she's my sister. I think it's because she has a way of talking about our homes in a way that I think is really sacred and encouraging and accessible. And I just love it. And, and I just, I, every time I either read something that she's written or um, let her boss me around when I'm freaking out about my own stuff, you know, in my mm-hmm. house or like stuff that I worry about. She always talks me down just like a big sister should and helps me see that the thing, the thing that I'm making the thing isn't really the thing and it doesn't have to be a big deal. Um, some of my stupid fears. So I think she does that for me, but she does that for thousands of women too. And so, yeah, she's definitely been someone who's been impacting me lately and also my whole life. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. I love that. And we're going to link to everything that she does because I've been a huge fan of your sister for a long time too. And so I love that. And I haven't gotten to take the class, but I, my house is not decorated for fall at all. And it's the same reason. I'm like, I've been in such a crazy work season. I haven't gotten to like, I love doing things around my house. It's something I'm like, not great at, but I love. And so I'm thinking like, that's a great reward as well. I might need to copy that. So we'll we'll link to, um, to everything that Michael does. Emily, I loved talking with you today. Thank you so much for your encouragement and for just the space that you create in the world and, and for giving us a space for our soul to breathe. And, And just thank you for all of your Yeah. Thank you for being here and for all of your wisdom. I just loved it. Oh, I loved it too. Thanks for having me. Friends, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls Night. Before you go, I would love it if you do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take just a quick second to leave us a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the show to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' night. So would you do me a huge favor and take just a quick second to leave us a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help us out so much. And... I want to say the biggest thank you to all of you who have left those beautiful five-star reviews already. It means the world to me. All right, friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night. I'll see you then.